The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. Good evening. Welcome tonight to Maranatha Bible Church. We are so grateful that you are here, and we're just so glad to have you uh, for one of our very special services uh, that we have uh, once a year, uh, an opportunity for us to gather together as kind of a, a church family and just enjoy uh, some family time together as we celebrate uh, our Savior's birth. So we want to welcome you. If you are here uh, because uh, someone has invited you or because you are here to watch one of these kids in the choir or someone else sing, we are so thankful that you are here as well and glad to have you with us as our guest tonight. If you're looking for a church, if you'd like more information on Maranatha, we would love to tell you about what God is doing here. But uh, we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We have a very uh, special service where we're going to sing some songs and hear some special music and just to enjoy uh, as believers uh, remembering our great Savior's birth. So our toddlers are going to make their way up for our toddler choir as they do that. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer as we commit the service to the Lord? Father, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, Lord, to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, to remember what took place in redemptive history 2,000 years ago, and to remember your entrance into this world to redeem sinners. So, Father, we thank you, we commit our service to you, and we pray that you'll be honored and glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Good evening, everyone. Is anyone there? Good evening, everyone. We're looking forward to singing with you all tonight. If you would stand and join us, we're looking forward to sing tonight.
right. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verses 18. Uh, I have the privilege of doing some reading from the Gospel of Matthew concerning the event we're all here celebrating tonight, the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way.
Matthew chapter 2, starting in 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene.
some uh, pretty good singing tonight, isn't it? Wow, we are uh, blessed here at Maranatha by just um, some tremendous voices and talents and ability to help us worship the Lord in music and in song, and so we are so blessed and so thankful that we get to lift our voices and uh, magnify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, at this time of year. So thank you musicians and special music people for serving us Uh, so well tonight. We have more to come in just a few minutes, but I wanted to take uh, just a moment to kind of set our hearts and just remind us. I I won't take long to do this, but uh, this is a special time of year um, for families to get together and for friends to be together, but most importantly, this is a special time of year because we remember our Savior's birth. What a glorious reality. It's something that we're familiar with. It's something we talk about. It's something we all know, the reason for the season. We all know what Christmas is about. And yet sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? Sometimes we get so familiar, we get so used to those things that they lose some of their luster and some of their meaning. For just a moment, I want to fix your hearts on what this is all about. Why are we doing this? Why have a special service? Why this time of year? Why are we meeting together? 
I want to draw your attention just a moment to Luke chapter 20. There is a parable that Jesus tells. Uh, It's called the parable of the vineyard or the parable of the tenants. And it is a story that Christ tells about both his life, his coming, and his death. It's not a parable you probably know much about. We don't hear much about it. And yet it is a marvelous parable that Jesus tells that brings together both his coming and his death. It says this, Luke chapter 20, verse 9, and he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. Very common practice. The people who would have heard it at this point would have been very familiar with this. This was something that was done in that land. People would own land. They would rent it out to others. They would pay a price, those renters would, to till the land, and they would keep the harvest, and they would pay a price uh, to rent that land from the landowner. So the people hearing this parable would have been very easily understanding what's taking place so far. Jesus goes on. He says, at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they could give him some of the produce of the vineyard. The landowner needs to be paid. The rent needs to be taken. And so because the landowner's been away, he sends one of his servants to collect the rent. And then something shocking, absolutely shocking happens. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. I mean, this is almost unthinkable. The landowner owns the land. The the people are renting it from him. They owe the the rent, and so because he can't come, he sends a servant in his stead. And the vine growers turn him away, empty-handed. And so the story goes on, and he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. The very same thing that happened to the first slave happens to the second servant. He's beaten, he's turned away, he goes back to his master empty-handed, no rent, no produce. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. I mean, do you see how tragic this is? This shouldn't be happening. This this just doesn't happen in, in that land, or it shouldn't. And so the owner of the vineyard, verse 13, said, what shall I do? And certainly it's a a proper question. What do I do? I've sent three of my servants. I've sent three of the most important people to me to collect this rent, to exact what is due me for renting out the land. What do I do? And then he says this, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. They, they didn't obey the first servant or the second servant or the third servant, and so his option now is are, are limited, and so he says, I will do the thing that perhaps will govern what needs to happen here and will cause their hearts to respond properly. I will send my own son, my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But, verse 14, when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. How can this be? You see, the the vine growers know that in that day that if the 
landowner never came back to collect the inheritance or collect the land for himself, then it was just turned over to those who were harvesting the land. And so their thought is, well, let's kill the, the landowner's heir so that the property can eventually become ours. And that's exactly what they do. Verse 15 says, so they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They killed the son. It's pretty obvious what Jesus is talking about here. Very clear who the players in this parable are. First is the landowner. That's representing God himself. And the landowner's journey that he went on for a a time represents the whole Old Testament history from the beginning of the Old Testament to the time of the coming of Christ. All those years declared in the Old Testament represents the time that the landowner was away. The servants represent the prophets, the messengers, those who in the Old Testament were sent to the people of Israel. They did exactly what is told in the story. They killed the prophets. They mistreated the prophets. It's obvious who the Son is. The Son is Jesus Christ. And they did exactly what Jesus prophetically spoke about here. Eventually, they killed Him. God's beloved Son, the heir of all things, they killed. So verse 15 says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and he will destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. You see, Jesus says, listen, if that's how they're going to treat me and that's how they're going to treat my son and my messengers, then I'm going to take what I've been giving them and I'm going to give it to other people. That, that's a reference to Israel being cut off and the Gentiles be given the opportunity to receive salvation because... God's heart is to extend that to all people. And verse 16 says, when they heard it, they said, may it never be. You see, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew he was speaking about them. He knew that they were, he was uh, speaking about their rejection of the prophets. They got it, those Israelites did at that time. They said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. What a powerful story. And Jesus captures in that one parable both his coming, the sending of God, uh, of him through God, by God, into the world to be the Savior of the world, and prophetically speaking about his death at the hands of the Jewish people, and it happened exactly as he spoke it would. And so he concludes by saying, listen, there's only two options. The option is you receive Christ as the chief cornerstone, which is what he is, or if not, then you will be scattered and broken to pieces by the cornerstone when it falls on you. The message is very clear. And here we want to be just completely transparent and upfront. This is not hard to understand. It's very simple. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, or if you are banking on your righteousness, your good works, the fact that you go to church or you've been baptized or you grew up in a Christian family or if you're banking on any type of religiosity for God to accept you because you think God will just kind of wink and say you're good enough, you need to understand that you were just like the Jewish people in that day who were thinking the same thing. It doesn't save. Nobody's good. Nobody's righteous. 
the only option is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church, the foundation of God's plan of redemption. It is through him and him alone that salvation comes. There are not multiple ways to God. There are not multiple avenues to to get to God. There's only one way. It's through Christ and him alone. And so that's the message of the parable. That is the message that Christ made very, very clear in that story. And we trust and pray that for you, you're not here tonight banking on some sort of righteousness that you think will get you to God. It's through Christ and him alone. You can try and try and try and try and try and try and try. It will never be enough. But Christ comes and he says, receive me and I give you all my righteousness. And when you stand before God someday and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You can say, because I'm robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That and that alone is what gets you to heaven. Anything short of that will keep you out of heaven. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Christmas is about. And we hope and pray and trust that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it is our prayer that if you don't, that we could introduce you to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this profound and yet simple story that Jesus tells. Lord, if we're honest, we're all like those Jewish people at that day when Christ was living who think we are good enough. We want to pat ourselves on the back and we want to think that we're, we're good people because we don't do as many bad things as those around us. And yet the standard is not other people, Lord, the standard is you. The standard is perfection. We all fall short. But we thank you and praise you that there is one who is perfect, who has been sent by you, who gave up his life, who died in our place, took the wrath of God for our sin, took the punishment that we deserve, was buried to demonstrate that he died and rose again from the dead to demonstrate his triumph over the grave and sin and death. Lord, that is our only hope. There is no hope in our righteous accomplishments. There is no hope in our religious activities. Our right standing with you comes only through your Son. And so we thank you this time of year that we can celebrate his birth. But Lord, let us not miss the connection between his birth and his death. And we pray that even tonight there would be some who would be willing to turn from their self-righteous, self-atoning ways to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you. We thank you that this is your salvation. You have initiated it. You have accomplished it. And now it is available to all who receive your Son in faith and repentance. We thank you for these things, and we praise you for them in Christ's name. Amen.
You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.